Hey, welcome to the Calm Birth Conversation podcast. This is Karen McClay and I will be having lots of wonderful conversations with experts and parents around pregnancy, birth and parenting with the aim to help you to make informed choices and decisions around your own journey into parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Calm Birth, Australia's leading childbirth education program. In today's conversation, I'm talking to Professor Hannah Darlin, who is Associate Dean of Research and Higher Degrees and the Midwifery Discipline Lead at the School of Nursing and Midwifery, Western Sydney University. And today we will be discussing why it is important for women to consider carefully the model of care that they choose for their pregnancy and for their birth. Okay, so welcome Hannah and um, thank you for joining me today. And today we're going to be talking about the different models of care available to women who are pregnant and are launching themselves into this journey into parenthood. And one of the reasons I'm really wanted to do this interview and have this chat with you, Hannah, is because I'm not sure that women really realise all the choices that they have out there for their models of care, um, for the pregnancy and labour and birth, and also the impact that potentially those decisions will have on the direction of which their labour and births will, will unfold. And so today I wanted to have a chat to you about, first of all, what do you, why do you think it's really important for couples to consider their model of care going into labour and birth? Um, and how do you think that's potentially going to impact that outcome? So, you know, labour and birth is not just one day in your life. It is something that's going to remain with you forever. It's something that, particularly with your first birth, can influence all the future decisions, choices you have and outcomes that may occur in that labour and birth. And it's something that will have profound emotional and psychological impact. So it isn't just a physical act of getting a baby out of a body. It is very, very deeply social, spiritual, cultural, psychological, emotional. And, you know, you think of all the other big events in our lives, like getting married or your 21st birthday party, you wouldn't just leave it up to luck and let anyone who wanted come to that. You would plan it. You would plan who was going to be there, what were going to be the proceedings, who were you going to have marry you, you know, who are going to be your bridesmaids, etc., etc. And while there are a lot of things around birth that we can't control, we can't control it down to the detail of, you know, what are the bouquets going to look like? There's an awful lot we can do with our choices that will, you know, I, I often look at it as like a sliding doors moment. The, the practitioner, the model of care, the place you have your baby is a sliding moment and somebody else somewhere else can make that birth completely different. So you need to try as much as you can possibly do to, to have that conversation with yourself and your partner. What do you really want? How do you see this? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? What do you want out of this? And then you need to do some research. Now, when you know we go buy a, a microwave or a washing machine, you know, I look up choice, you know, we do lots of research, we look at the energy labels, we do all of those sorts of background checks. And yet, when it comes to birth, you know, we rock up the GP, the GP says, okay, congratulations, you're pregnant. You know, have you got private health insurance? Well, if you haven't, then here's your local hospital, no information about all the different models, no information about the fact that 
if you want continuity of midwifery care or to get into a birth center or a home birth program, you got to book in really early because they book out fast. Um, and then if you've got private obstetric cover, it'll be like, you know, which hospital have you got a doctor in mind? Well, my friend had such and such. And that seems to be the extent often of decision making. And it's only afterwards and often after the first baby that women go, oh my goodness, why did I take this so lightly? Why did I not put in that legwork to make sure I had the right team around me? Absolutely. And that's the big thing. And it's really doing that research, isn't it, Hannah? And making those informed decisions and even going and, and having a chat to different care providers and asking, you know, interviewing them almost. Like if we go to, as you, you were sort of talking about buying microwaves and weddings, but if you also look at it in terms of, of going to a mechanic or, or getting a tradie to come to your house, you normally go and you get three quotes. You go, you get, you go around and you interview and you see what is the best fit for you at that time. So I think it's something really important for women to consider. And the first thing they really do need to consider is, you know, what, type of birth are they looking for or what experience of birth are they going to look for and then once they've decided on on what that is then working out what model of care is going to fit them best with that so looking at the model of care in here in Australia, we're actually relatively lucky compared to a lot of countries in the world where we do have an element of choice. Again, it depends where we're living in Australia. But for, for a lot of women, there is, is choice in that matter. Let's have a look at those different models of care, um, which we can sort of put into two categories, really, isn't it? There's that the continuity model of care, and then there is sort of the non-continuity, or some people call it a little bit more of a, a fragmented um, model of care. Let's look at those that continuity of care. What are the different models within that, Hannah, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of those? So we actually need to talk in terms of continuity of care, which a team of people could do if they all communicated well and your case was passed between each and everyone was on the same page. And the difference between that and continuity of carer, which is where you have a consistent lead provider who is your person and they provide your antenatal care. They're the one at your birth and they also coordinate and provide your postnatal care. So they're very different things. So if we start with the continuity of carer, there's really two possibilities in Australia. Um, one is um, continuity of obstetric care, which is through the private sector where you have a private obstetrician who provides your antenatal care. Then the midwives in the private hospital will provide all of your labor care. And then the obstetrician comes in for, you know, sometimes the last few minutes for birth and then the midwives provide the postnatal care and then you usually have a six-week check with your private obstetrician so that's one continuity and it's only available in the private sector or if you pay for it out of pocket then in the public sector and also privately we have continuity of midwifery care and that is where a midwife or, or, or two midwives or a, a group of midwives work together um, in the hospital system, um, they're often called midwifery group practices. And then the midwife, you have a midwife assigned, that midwife does your antenatal care. You might meet her colleague a couple of times too, so that if she is not at your birth, then you have someone you know. Then that midwife's on call for your birth. She provides labour care throughout the labour and she catches your baby. And then she provides your postnatal follow-up. So that's continuity of midwifery care in the in the in the 
public sector, then in the private sector, there are privately practicing midwives who will run clinics either out of their own home or come and do the antenatal care in your home, provide all your care, be the attendant at birth, and they often provide the option of home birth as well. And then we'll often provide up to six weeks of postnatal care. Uh, and and that means that you have access to them for that six weeks, whereas in the public system with continuity midwifery care, that tends to end around two weeks. And then that is contrasted with a lot of other models that exist in uh, the public sector, which we would call more fragmented models, but there are variations. So for example, GP shared care is something that women can access. That means that their local GP, if they're accredited, can also provide some of their maternity care. They have some visits with the GP, some in the hospital with midwives usually, and then a doctor if needed. And then they get cared for in the birth room, in the birth unit with by other midwives and cared for in postnatal by other midwives. Then there are midwifery clinics where a midwife might provide all your antenatal care, but she's not gonna be there at your birth or provide the postnatal care. Then there are ones where she provides the antenatal and postnatal care, but not the birth care. And then there are women who go to just whatever, whoever's on the day, and it's fragmented all the way through. So there are loads of models. And the, it's absolutely critical people understand the difference between continuity of care and carer, the difference between midwifery and obstetric care in order to make the decision that's right for them. That's right. So, so Hannah, talk to us about that difference about um, with continuity of care, the difference between midwifery care and the difference between obstetric care, and who, what, what woman would choose what and for and what reason? Yeah, and and so those models can really, um, you know, there are some women who really love the private obstetric model, and there are some women who really love the private midwifery or the midwifery continuity care model. And what I've tended to find in my 30 years of being a midwife is that if you're someone who's like, I just want to hand it all over, I don't want to make decisions, I just really want to have this person, I want a familiar face at birth, but I don't care if I have intervention. In fact, I'm quite happy if I do, you know, give me an epidural the moment I walk in, things like that, then you're probably really well suited to private obstetric model. Now we know private obstetric model, yes, women are quite satisfied, but we know the intervention rates are double pretty much, um, double the, the, the public models and, you know, nearly triple what it would be in a private, in a, in a midwifery continuity care model. In a midwifery continuity care model, what you get is um, often, an hour long appointment or half an hour to an hour antenatally compared to perhaps seven to 10 minutes in a private obstetric model. Midwives will concentrate a lot more on how you're going, what are the issues for you, talking about your plans, working with you to kind of process some of that baggage that we all bring to birth. And then the physical examinations and that sort of come at the end and they're important, but they're not the most important. Whereas the Private obstetric model is much more focused on, you know, blood pressure and baby and heart rate and, and then the next next person. So they're very different in their focus. When it comes to labour and birth, the midwifery model, that midwife that you know is the one who's caring for you through labour and birth. So that's a really critical and vulnerable time. They know that you don't want your mother-in-law there. They stop people coming into the room. You feel safe. You trust them. Therefore, birth unfolds in a much um, better way. In, in the private model... 
midwives who work in the private sector or midwives who work in the public sector if the woman's birthing in the public hospital with a private obstetrician provide all the labor care and then the obstetrician comes in at the moment to you know to catch the baby and then you have different midwives postnatally whereas in the midwife continuity midwifery model you've got that same midwife on the journey all the way through so if you look at the hard statistics which speak loudly for themselves you have double the rate of intervention in the private sector. So, you know, double the rate virtually of cesareans, inductions, forceps, deliveries, cuts to the perineum, etc. If you then look at the um, midwifery model of care, we know they have the lowest rates of intervention, they have the highest satisfaction, they have high rates of breastfeeding, and those models are also extremely cost-effective. So they are very different. But if you are a woman who wants everything and wants to hand over and just tell me when the baby's born, then you, you know, absolutely that obstetric model can be very much suiting you. If you're a woman though, who says, no, I've got an idea, I've got a plan. I'd really like to use water. Um, I'd like to be up and mobile during my labor and birth. I, you know, I really do want a, a normal vaginal birth. Then I think you need to think very carefully about the model and the care provider. Now I'm not saying all private obstetricians have double the intervention rate. The problem is the public don't know which are the ones that have low intervention rates and which ones have high intervention rates. So do your homework. Go see, if you want a private obstetric model, go see that obstetrician and interview them. After all, they're providing a service you're paying for. What's your cesarean section rate? What's your opinion about water? You need to know that in a lot of private hospitals, water birth is not allowed. So if you've got a plan for water birth, well, for forget it in the private sector. Many private obstetricians are quite uncomfortable with water, whereas that's something midwives are much more comfortable about. So really think about what you want and then go interview your practitioner and then look at the statistics and the data and make your mind up. Hmm. That's right. And I guess it's also has a lot to do also with, with potential comorbidities. So if, if women have got complex medical conditions, even prior to being pregnant, you know, obstetric care can be the way for them to be going as well. Um, so, and I guess that's, I've always sort of say the difference between, I guess, the midwifery model and the obstetric model is the midwifery model is much more focused on normal and, and, and seeing birth as a very normal physiological event, whereas obstetric models are trained and coming at it in a much more medicalized way um, and, and see it more as, a, as a, something to, to, to work with and sort of manage and, and reduce risk, whereas as midwives don't see that risk as much, but rather see the normal. And so I guess it's got to work with women's philosophy around that, doesn't it? And an important thing to point out is that midwives don't just do it all. Um, where risk evolves in the public sector or in a midwifery model, then midwives consult and refer. But um, ideally in the continuity model, they continue the care so that even if you do need to have an obstetrician involved, your midwife is still there mm. during that time. So that's, that's really um, a really important and critical part of it. But you know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're right. If you've got a very high risk pregnancy, well, to be honest, if your pregnancy is very high risk, you're probably not even going to be birthing in the private sector. You'll be birthing in the public, public sector, sector with fetal, fetal medicine uh, specialists and, you know, intensivists and all the things that aren't available anyway in a, in a private hospital. So, you know, it really comes down to it's not so much, yes, risk is a factor. And I think, you know, as risk evolves, midwives bring in other people and, and that 
that um, relationship occurs, it's really got to do about what do you want for this birth? Mm. Um, what, what are you after? What are you wanting? What means the most to you? Have you talked to other friends? Have you had your own dreams and hopes? Have you talked to your mother about your birth? And once you've got an idea, then you need to really start reading up and deciding. And the other thing is, of course, what you want may not be locally available. And so you may have to go for another option that, you know, meets your needs as best as possible. Yeah. And, and speaking about that, Hannah, then what can women do who potentially, you know, were maybe aiming for a midwifery continuity, continuity of care model. Um, but as you said, they fill up very early and very quickly and they weren't able to get that. And they are in, in that much more non-continuity of care model. What sort of things would you advise them to be doing in order for them to still ensure that their needs are being met? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of really important things. Uh, one of them is think carefully about your, your parent education that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, many, um, many parent education services in hospitals are very much about, um, I have to call them giant orientation programs. They're about kind of getting you the right fit for their organisation. There are some really good ones, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm a great advocate for to go outside of the hospital, get get yourself an independent perspective, go for the thing, go for the courses. And there are so many out there and Calm Birth is one of them. There are so many courses now that are about giving you the tools. You know, they, they give you the tools. They give you the mental uh, ability to take yourself in in the right way um, to that labour and birth experience. So, to, you know, you think about this, you're never going to do anything probably unless you're a marathon runner, anything more um, physically exerting than giving birth. And you think about all the preparation people undertake to go into a sporting event and we rock up to the start line going, hey, I don't need to do anything. Um, women and their partners will get very disappointed and let down if that happens. So prepare, get your mind in a good state get your body in a good state you know learn about acupressure learn about visualization learn about yoga and and mindfulness and meditation and massage and all those things that are going to help you get through so parent childbirth education i think is is fundamental but make sure you pick one that's going to give you tools rather than give you a textbook on how birth should be the second thing is I'm, I am a great believer in birth plans. Now, I know that there's a lot of bad press about birth plans. I think you've got to be very careful that you don't have a recipe book for, for a birth plan, that this has to happen, this has to happen. I think you do have to be flexible and I think you do have to be clear about what matters to you and what are the alternatives if that doesn't happen. So when women come to me and say, I do not want a cesarean under any circumstance, then I will say, let's sit down and let's come up with a birth plan. Because I worry very much about women who say, I don't want one under any circumstance. And in fact, it's probably going to happen to them because mm. that is such a fixed attitude. And when there is a certain amount of things we're not in control of. So I will say, well, let's do a birth plan for when you're, if you're going to have a normal birth, how do you want it to look like? If you needed to go in and have a cesarean, what would be the things that would be important for you to be in control of? What do you want? Okay, I don't want my baby removed. I want my baby skin to skin. I don't want anyone but myself and my partner telling anyone else what my baby is. I want to discover the sex myself. You know, you can you can carve out a sense of control and birth in the midst of what may not be your your primary, um, you know, 
requests. So be clear with your providers what you want and um, listen, but also make very clear. And having a birth plan gives you this document that you can kind of open up and say, well, what we've got in our birth plan is this and we're trying very much to to follow that if all if at all possible yeah i and i'm a big advocate of that too hannah i'm not sure if you you've stumbled across um catherine bell's work called the birth map which i my phd student yeah oh well there you go i just i just love it because you know it's it's she mind maps Mm -hmm. the whole concept is mind mappings which means that you can basically if you follow her her recipe for the for the birth map then by the time you get to your birth you've pretty much covered off Mm -hmm. on every possible scenario and gotten the information that you've needed to around around that and having those open lines of communication between your caregivers is just so important because your caregivers want want the women to have the best birth for them but if the communication's not open then then no one's on the same page and i think that's really important i'll give you an example i had a client uh, you know a, a couple of years ago and she planned a home birth which was fantastic because that's what i you know i support home birth and any 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 choice a woman makes and then she got up to 36 weeks and her baby was bottom first mm-hmm. so of course you know if you're going to have a breech baby home's not the best place for that and so we discussed you know that if this baby didn't turn then we would we would recommend and encourage uh, um, a birth in hospital but in order for her to be able to settle on that, we did three birth plans. We did one for the birth at home, which was the baby would turn, baby would come out of home, everything would be great. We did one for a breech birth in hospital. And we did one for a cesarean section, which mm. is a possibility with breech birth. And of course she went in, she saw a fantastic obstetrician um, who we called a breech whisperer who turned her baby without any problem. She went on to have a lovely home birth. But because she'd done the work, she'd gone and faced her fears she dealt with her scenarios and she had written down and carved out what she wanted in each of those circumstances. And that we gave her the sense of control and made her realize that if she's in that situation, well, these are the things that she will be able to get from that situation and still manage to control. Yeah, that's right. And it's all about that control, isn't it, Hannah? And that feeling of choice and understanding and anything, knowledge Knowledge is a great antidote to fear. And I think a lot of the times when we, we decide not to face something in particular, it's it's really coming from that place of fear and unknowing, isn't it? And and doing that, sitting down with those birth plans, asking lots of questions um, of your care providers, doing your own research and also um Asking for the statistics, I'm another big one for statistics because I think they put them into real perspective as opposed to a perceived perspective as well is, is an important thing for women to do as well. Um, then there's the other thing of doulas as well, which I think in fragmented care, doulas are amazing and they are professional birth support people that they're, they're not um, midwives, they're not obstetricians, so they're not medically trained, but they're incredible at supporting families in through that transition of labor and birth and into parenting as well and they can provide that continuity of care and that continuity of support more than anything would you agree with me Hannah? Oh, i'm a great fan of doulas i think doulas are wonderful i think the evidence is is completely conclusive that they reduce intervention and they increase satisfaction um 
you know, uh, there, there is very little on earth that reduces their insection rate as much as having someone like a doula at your, your labour birth. But I, I would say yes, definitely for pragmatic care because you, you've got your advocate there in the system. But I also love them in continuity care. Um, yeah. We have a lot of doulas at home birth and there's no more intimate relationship between a woman and her midwife. And we all work together as a team. Um, doulas have really special skills. And, you know, if you've got a really long labour happening, I tell you what, you do need to give each other a little break in order for the woman and her partner to get the best from you. The other thing great about doulas, and a lot of people don't think about this till they have a baby, is doulas are brilliant for their partner. Yes. So doulas do little things like make sure he's had a cup of coffee, make sure he's had something to eat, make sure he's got the ability to lie down and have a, have a bit of rest, make sure he understands what's going on when everything's kind of happening at a fast pace and everyone's forgotten there's a partner there. Doulas are also great when there's a child involved in the birth, um, you know, drawing in the corner with them, um, explaining things, smiling serenely, which reassures everyone everything's okay. You know, there's an awful lot that doulas do that I think um, we should, you know, I, honestly, I think they're, I think they're wonderful. Yeah, I agree. And I think they can really make that difference uh, for women. And as you said, for their partners as well, I really think, you know, partners, it's it's an um, enormous emotional and physical day for women, but it's a very big emotional day for partners to, to support their, their, their birthing partner going through this. And so to have someone behind who they can talk to, bounce ideas off, or as you said, hold them up and give them a cup of tea is, is an incredibly important thing. Um, so that's, that's another part really of continuity of care, isn't it, is having a doula at your side as well. And potentially for those women whose partners are not feeling confident in the space or perhaps maybe they're even a single parent, um, having that doula there provides that 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 emotional support and that that safety that women so importantly yeah. need. And most doulas are women. That's just the nature of them. And there is something about that female energy at birth. You know, I just think women wrap around other women in a different way. Yeah. Uh, men, of course, you know, and not all partners are men either. So you know, we need to point that one out too. But, you know, men are doers and men are, that's why I believe in tools because I think if you can get partners trained up to, you know, do acupressure massage, then they don't feel like this shag on the rock, you know, sitting there that nobody feels as part of the birth. But by having the doula there with that female energy um, as well as the partner, I think, and, you know, hopefully a good midwife too, then I think you've, you've got life sorted pretty much. Um, it's about your team, you know. It's a, it, you think about the athletes, and I always go back to the, the athlete um, kind of scenario, but uh, Olympic athletes do not get there just because they're talented. They get there because they have a fantastic coach who believes in them. They get there because they have a dietitian advising their diet. They have a physio helping massage out their muscles and, and things. They're learning exercises. They're learning mentally how to, you know, believe in themselves. Um, and they get to the start of that that starting line and they've got a coach who says you've got this I believe in you you can do that yet in maternity care we so often rock up to the start line and none of that's there not only is none of that there but there's somebody there going oh I don't know your um your, your pelvis might be a bit small and I'm not sure you know your husband's hat size and your feet size and oh you know we'll give it a go well no wonder we have the intervention rates in birth we have because if you at the beginning of the start line have not got your team in place who believe in you, what hope have you got to go through what will be 
the most amazing marathon of your life. And I'll often say to women, you know, men do not get this opportunity to climb their own personal Everest. Mm -hmm. Us women get that. And we make, we make entire human beings in our body and we birth them. That is a superpower that is second to none on earth. So we rip women off by not allowing them to go through well-supported to experience that. And it isn't about women failing. None of it's about anything to do with women, but sometimes women need intervention. It is about our system that fails women again and again and again. Mm, absolutely. It is. And, and, it's, and it's really, and the, the people that are going to change that system are, are the consumers like anything. And so it's about the women empowering themselves and starting to gain that knowledge and looking at, at what's really important to them. And we know it's not about an us and men, us and them mentality. It's about having a system that works for every woman, meeting every woman's needs and every woman's wishes. So we need to have an array of choice for, for, for women to be able to pick from, to meet their own needs. Um, and you, You've just finished uh, writing a book, which has been published, um, which is called The Canary in the Coal Mine, which... On, on the shelf, just on the shelf. Me. I know, I'm, I'm staring <laughs> at it at the moment. Um, that's, I'm really, I haven't had the privilege of reading it yet. I'm, I'm really excited to get my hand on it because this is fairly new off the press. Hannah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because really what we've been talking about today is kind of what you were investigating a little bit in this book, weren't you? Mm. So I, I've been investigating why do women make a choice to avoid our maternity systems altogether and to have their babies at home, some, often with no midwife at all or with a, a, a doula who may not have the, the training or by themselves completely. And we've looked, um, we've got researchers around the world that have contributed to this book and we have been able to really distill this down. And that's why we call this the birthing outside the system is the canary in the coal mine. Um, you know, from the old analogy of, you know, people used to take a canary into the coal mine when the poisonous gases leaked. It was the canary that fell silent first, warning people that something is going on. And these women who make these choices, they're not bad, they're not mad. They are escaping a system that has been poisonous for them, that has led to trauma, that has not met their needs, where they felt fully coerced and not having good choice. And they're taking into their hands a way of rectifying this often with future births. So for me, these women have such a fantastic message. And the last chapter is all about the plan forward and how we can fix this. So women don't feel that they need to leave our system. But if we, the, the bottom line is if we provide continuity of care, first of all, we often, often prevent that trauma because in continuity, you have respect and investment. The woman respects and trusts her midwife, but the midwife respects and trusts the woman. And that leads to everything just working so much better. So it's about continuity. It's about listening to women. It's about debriefing afterwards. Mm. It's about us sitting down and sometimes saying, I'm really sorry. And I've said this to women. I think I've let you down. I think I should have done this differently. And if we can have those honest conversations, women are incredibly forgiving and they are, understand we're human. And if we can make plans on how perhaps the next birth can be a healing birth and a redemptive birth, we can stop a lot of what we're seeing in society at the moment, which is traumatized women and rising rates of PTSD. And it's not just women. It's their partners that are sitting there 
feeling helpless in the sidelines, watching what's done to their women and feeling they can do nothing and then suffering the trauma themselves, but feeling they can't talk about it because how can I talk about it? She's the one who went through it and had the baby. And if you've got a traumatized mother, mothering a baby where she's not looking at it, not talking to it, where she's down, where the tone of her voice is flatter. We know that the tone of your voice and the words you speak to your baby is wiring your baby's brain. So, and then if you've got a partner who feels traumatized and a woman who feels traumatized, you've got marriage breakdowns, you've got stress, you've got trauma. We're now shaping the future of society. So this isn't just a, oh, come on, you know, get over it, be tough. This is about the future of society and we have to realize that. Absolutely. It's really a human rights issue, isn't it, Hannah? It's such like, a human rights uh, issue. Yeah, it's such a, it's probably a whole, a whole different talk. <laughs> well, in fact, one of the editors in this book with me is a human rights lawyer, and there's a whole lot of, of chapters in there around human rights because it's exactly what it's about. It's about women being in control of their bodies and what is done to their bodies and being respected. And if we could get that right... You know, we could undo an awful lot of that's wrong in maternity care today. Absolutely. And getting that fear out of the way too. You know, consent obtained out of fear is not consent. So it's it's about Absolutely. it's it's really about, you know, empowering women, giving them presenting the knowledge to them in in a way that that gives them choice as well is and then respecting that choice and helping them to work with it is really important. Um, well, hope hopefully we're we're starting to dig in a little bit and get there. But again, coming back to, to really what we're talking about today is around encouraging couples that when they first fall pregnant, or in fact, even before they're falling pregnant, is to start to do their research around birth and look at birth generally and think, well, no, what's this? What, what do my belief systems tell me and where do I fit in the spectrum of, of birth journeys? And then really doing their research to work out who and what is going to be the right care model for them to be able to achieve what they are wanting to get out of out of this journey themselves. And then it also goes on for, for next births as well. And often women do change their models of care then if, if the first model didn't quite fit with them. But say, for example particularly, and this is another podcast that I'll cover off on, is talking about women who are wanting a vaginal birth after a cesarean. We know, again, with the research, that it's really important to choose a caregiver who is supportive of of vaginal birth after cesarean. So it's about, again, looking at your circumstance and looking at all the research around it and then picking the right model to fit with you. Absolutely. It's all about that team. It's going to coach you through to the finish line. Absolutely. And so Hannah, do you have any final words of wisdom that you would give women or couples as they're embarking in on this incredible time of change? What, what was, what's probably some of the, the wisdom that you would impart on them? You know, I think it's really hard, even as a very experienced midwife, when I had my first baby and I knew in, in my brain how it would all be and what it would look like, nothing can compare, nothing can prepare you for what switches on in you forever. And there is before children, there is after children. Life is divided very clearly. And your brain will never be the same. You will forever be a mother and a father. And your alliances and your love and your heart and your thinking and everything that governs your life from now on will alter. So let's take it as seriously as that point is in our lives and let's make sure that that transition from individual to parent 
is a powerful one is is a an experience we look back on and when we have birthdays of our children that we tell that story with joy in our face not sadness and avoidance and and that we begin life off in the best way possible for our children who are our greatest investment i often say to people well what do you see happen with a cat giving birth in your home you know or a dog giving birth or a cow in the field do we all jump in there, shout at them, expose them, shine lights on them, do things? No, we all as humans know that you don't mess with them, that you they do select warm, dark places. They do go away. They do, you know, avoid those bright lights. And, and um, you know, we're respectful of animals and their needs. But at the bottom of it all, we're animals. We're highly evolved animals. But there are many of those basic fundamental needs of labor and birth that are very similar. So let's tap down into the basics. We spend a lot of time with our brains, you know, being very cerebral about it. Once you're in labor, I can tell you, once the primitive brain is switched on, you lose track of time, you lose track of, you know, life. It, it, you enter into a clock that is completely primitive. So let's prepare that space for women like cats to be able to disappear into their cupboards in the soft warm dark space feeling trust and capacity i mean we 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 so often look at women i say as catastrophe and our job as maternity care providers should be looking at women as capacity because women are enormously capable never before in history have women been better fed have more power more knowledge more rights than ever, ever before in history. There's nothing wrong with women's bodies. We now need to make sure that they're in the right system with the right support so that they get the best opportunity to have the birth they want. Yeah, beautiful. That That's so fantastic. And that completely resonates with me. I love that idea of, of capacity. We do, we all have the capacity to do this. It's about um, opening our mind. I always say it's about opening our minds so that we can open our bodies um, to have our babies. And if we need a cesarean, and I've had both, so mm -hmm. I'm not speaking of, you know, someone who's only, you know, lit candles and had an easy, easy birth. I've certainly experienced the, the full gamut. But the difference is when you've got, when you do need to have intervention and you have someone with you by your side, listening, respecting you, debriefing afterwards, there is such a dramatic difference to when you don't have that and you have intervention. So it's just not being idealistic about the fact that women don't need intervention. We do. We want that for safety. But if we're going to do that, we need to do that emotionally safely as well. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It's been so amazing talking to you and, um, and thank you for all that you're doing for women, all the research that you're doing, because it's really starting to, to bring back um, this place of birth to women. And I think that's an incredibly important thing. And thanks for all the wonderful work you do too. I, I certainly see the, I certainly see the benefits coming through when women have done courses such as yours. I certainly see a difference in the attitude. <laughs>